Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. Here's a premise statement to consider as we kind of start our dialogue today. God allows us to experience brokenness in our life so that he can display his power. God will allow us to go through trauma and pain and suffering and adversity because it's in our weaknesses that God oftentimes meets us with his strength, with his grace, with his mercy, with his power. He runs us out of our personal strength and gets us to a place where he invites us to press in and lean in and learn to trust him. Anybody ever experienced that? As long as I can function, if you will, and try to flourish in my natural strength and stay with a posture of heart of control, what I'm really declaring is, God, I don't need you, but God has shown us repeatedly in our journey that your strength is not sufficient and my power is made perfect in your weakness. As we look back even last week at Acts 27, we conclude that God controls the winds and the storms even that we go through. But he does what he does for his glory and his purposes. We read last week where Paul and his companions, uh, if you will, spent 14 days in a hurricane, a tsunami. The sun could not be seen, no stars at night. It was absolutely brutal conditions, and people are panicking. They experience a shipwreck. You start to study it. There's physical exhaustion. There's no food. There's no sleep. And I want to I, I tell you today, as I've walked through life myself, God is sovereign no matter what you're going through today. God is in control. God can be trusted, and he has positioned you where you're at today if you will allow him to use you for his glory. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever you're just coming out of, whatever you're about to go into, God has positioned you where you're at for his glory. And God wants to use a person like you to house, if you will, the power and the presence and the perspective of the Holy Spirit to use you where you're at today. And that's good news for us. Now, if you look back at Paul, I mean, they finally uh, make it through the storm. They've had this shipwreck. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they find, them play, uh, find themselves on an island called Malta. And while he's there, as soon as they get off of the shipwreck, all of this exhaustion and fatigue, while Paul is there, he is bitten by a poisonous, venomous snake. And if you read through Paul's narrative, even through the book of Acts, you've got to conclude, like, dude, what new? Anybody, anybody ever just wanted to cry, Uncle, man, you've gone through storms, and you've gone through adversity, and you've gone through pain, and you've gone through trial, and you're like, praise God, that's finally over, and then, bam, to get bit by something else? I mean, that's this dude's narrative right here. And if we're not careful... If we're not careful, if we only have an earthly lens that we're looking at things through, we will conclude, what another setback. Where God is wanting you to know, no, it's another set up. God is constantly setting us up to be used by him 
for his glory. As soon as this happened, the natives assumed this dude is a murderer. He's evil. The gods are going to definitely take him out. That's why he got bit. When nothing happens to him, they immediately start to move toward a conclusion. This dude's kind of special here. While they're there, they meet a dude by the name of Publius, and Publius is the leader, if you will, of Malta. He maybe uh, occupied the position of governor, some theologians believe, and when they get there, he extends compassion to these people who are hungry, who are tired, who are shipwrecked, who have nothing. While they're there, uh, Paul gets the notice that Publius' father is really sick, about to die. Paul goes over, lays hands on him, and prays for him, and this brother is healed immediately. And then all of a sudden, the word starts to spread that this is not a setback, it's a set up. And they start bringing a multitude of other people to him. He prays for them. They start experiencing healing. And so God used, in Paul's journey up until this point, uh, incarcerations, beatings, shipwrecks, a snake bite, even the illness of this guy's father to proclaim his glory. And God had one message for Paul throughout it all as he continued to go through so much adverse situations in his life. His word to him was, it was consistent. Hey, Paul, don't be afraid. You may be going through something today. You may be fighting an illness or you may be battling cancer. You may be battling something right here this morning. And I believe God's word is, hey, hey, I'm sovereign over where you're at. I'm in control. And what you view as a setback needs to be viewed as a setup. And you need to learn to trust me because you're running, you're running out of your own strength. And that's a good place to be because I love broken people that have to depend on me. Trust in me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So as we have read through the book of Acts, we can conclude, Greg, that God's timing is way different than our timing. The, the way we calculate things at times and when God does not move at the speed of Tim, Tim is oftentimes frustrated with God, where are you? But God's timing is not our timing, God's ways are way different than our ways. And even in the midst of what you're going through today, God is sovereign and he is in full control. The Lord, the Lord is infinite while we remain finite. The Lord knows the end from the beginning, but we can only see what's happening now. We get lost in the now at times. We get lost in the now of the fear, the, the now of the unknown, the now of the uncertainty. And the Lord goes, I know the end uh, from the beginning, and I know where you're at, but I want you to learn to trust me. He knows the why while we're seeking answers. He offers wisdom while we're in the midst of confusion. He offers peace while we're flooded with anxiety and chaos going on. You may find yourself in a place today where you're like, man, I just don't know the why. And we may never know the why, but we can start to learn how to practice the what, that he's in control, and I'm going to trust him no matter what. Acts 28, I'll read just a few verses from the tail end today, starting in verse 23. Paul finally arrives in Rome, and here's what we read. They came to him at his lodging in large numbers. All the people are starting to 
gravitate toward him. This dude is not like some murderer dude. The snake bite, nothing happened to him. If anything, God's repositioned him. They came to him in large numbers, and Paul was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. And he was trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. And he was leveraging both the law of Moses and speaking with what the prophets had said about Jesus from morning until evening, from the time the sun would rise until the time the sun would go down, it says that Paul was spending his time trying to persuade people that Jesus is the Christ. Some were being persuaded by the things being spoken, but others would not believe. He stayed two full years in this area in his own rented quarters, and he welcomed anyone and all to him. He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. I want you to stop. We've jogged through this. We've seen the Holy Spirit poured out, even as Jesus would promise in Acts 1.8. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. The gospel is starting to spread. He used people like Peter. He used people like Ananias. He used people like Paul, Stephen, so many other people. The gospel is spreading, and all of a sudden we've been kind of paying attention to Paul's life of how the Lord's using him, and bam, that's the way the book of Acts concludes. It doesn't say he lived happily ever after. It doesn't say that, and then after all this, and he preached the gospel, that he sat in his lazy boy, and he propped up at 3.30 p.m. to see the dogs crush the balls. It doesn't, it doesn't say that he lived happily ever after. And I knew we wouldn't see much orange in this church today. But it, but, but it doesn't say that. When you read the book of Acts, and it just kind of, it, it's a cliffhanger. It's just kind of left hanging, and all we read is, well, what happened to him? Well, he just keeps sharing Jesus. He keeps proclaiming the gospel. He, he keeps trying to encourage people to embrace a kingdom of heaven mindset but what happened? Did he ever make it to Caesar? That's where he was headed, right? We don't know. Why? Why doesn't it tell us what happened? Because the book of Acts is not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about any person. It is about the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. That's the reason I believe it just kind of hangs. What happened? It's not about him. We know from history that Paul was eventually released from Rome. He makes his way over to Spain. He's rearrested by Nero, and he's beheaded. But why doesn't the book of Acts tell us that? Because you can kill Paul, but you can't stop the gospel. And it wasn't about him it was about the gospel. It was about the power of the Holy Spirit. It was about the promise of Acts 1.8. When you read it, you go, what do, we, what do we conclude? We conclude Paul died, the Holy Spirit remains, and the gospel, you can't stop it. That's what we have to conclude. So we find ourselves some 2,000 years later, the cross Loganville, here we are. Here we are. And, and, and I want you to know 
that as lead pastor here and with our team, we believe that we exist to make the gospel famous now. That's why we exist. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't end with us. Through the obedience of what Jesus did, he passed the baton on to 12. One would hang himself. These guys go out and start to share the gospel. Paul, he meets the Lord on the Damascus Road. He gets the gospel. What is he doing? He's passing the baton on to other people. And those people passed it on to the next generation and the next generation. And somebody passed it on to me. It's not about me. It doesn't start with me. It doesn't end with me. It just includes me. Do y'all feel me this morning? This is not about Paul. This is not about Peter. This is about the power of the Holy Spirit that desires to work in your life today because the same Holy Spirit that filled the early church and sent them out on radical mission to proclaim the kingdom of God wants to blow through the cross Loganville this morning and fill you and send you into the world. You believe that too? I do. The same Holy Spirit that led Paul wants to lead Tim Cash, wants to lead Sandra, wants to lead Teresa, wants to lead. Hey, I just want to lead you. So we've titled this series 29 because we are convinced that the Lord is wanting to write a new story through you today as you're empowered and fueled by the Holy Spirit that's never been written before for his glory. And there should be 29 stories being written every day as we walk spontaneously, unscripted, obediently to the Lord. Acts declares that we are to live sent lives. The word sent means to be commissioned by your authority with orders. You have been sent on this assignment. There is an authority that has given you orders and has released you to carry it out. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth, I am sending you out. Here's the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Who's it for? Earl, it's for you and it's for me. John Mark, it's for you and it's for me. It's for every person to live sent. So if, if I'm going to live a sent life, what are some of the things that God has sent me to do? God has sent me to share my faith. We've seen repeatedly where Paul lays out his testimony in the book of Acts. He talks about who I was before Christ, how I met Christ, and how Christ is currently changing me right now. Go live it out. Go tell your story. You've got a story to tell. This past week, I got a text from our buddy. Y'all remember some of you, our buddy Antonio, 6'10", brother that played about 13 years in the NBA. I'll never forget when Antonio reached out to me about seven years ago, and he said, uh, I hear you work with some professional athletes and all. I'm, I'm at a crossroads. 
would you be willing to meet with me? We sat down and we meet. And so I'm talking to Antonio some seven years ago, and I asked Antonio, I said, what's your purpose for being on the planet? Oh, my purpose is uh, uh, be a good man, provide for my family, and yeah. No, Antonio, what is your purpose for being on the planet? When do you really exist? And tears streaming down his face, he says, I don't, I don't know. I've been guessing for 46 years. I, I, I don't know. Antonio surrendered to Christ some seven years ago. Antonio started walking. Antonio reaches out to me, and he said, I've been asked to speak at a men's breakfast here in the greater Oakland area where he's living now. Hey, I just want to process some stuff with you because I've been asked to share my faith story. Hey, 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 hey Antonio, here's what... I would encourage you to do. Maybe start with what happened when you were 46 years old as you were battling through life and trying to figure out what is my purpose for existence and how that day you surrendered to Christ. But then go back and start to tell your story of who you were before you met Christ and how you had lived a life of stable misery even though you had money and wealth and whatever. Tell your story of who you were before Christ. Then share your story of how you met Christ, and then for the next seven or eight minutes, talk about how Christ has changed you since you surrendered to him. I'm encouraging him to do that because that's what God encourages me to do. Hey, go share your story, who you were before, how you met him, and how he's changing you. I would tell you, you can share your story. The second thing I would tell you is underneath living a sent life right here and sharing your story is you can, you can invite other people to come to church with you. You can invite other people to come to a come to table, uh, come to the table a uh, dinner with you. You can invite people to come to a small group with you. Do you know that you can invite someone to come with you? And it's going to do two things. It's going to radically stretch your faith because for some of you, it's getting you out of your comfort zone. But you know what it's going to do? You're going to see the Holy Spirit work in that other person's life. What would you do? I just invited them. If every person reached one person over the next two months, what would this fellowship look like? If every person strategically was praying for, loving on, and invited another person to come in, what would it look like? You never know the power of sharing your faith and engaging with people where they're at. This past week, as a church body, we have been praying for our sister, Amber. Amber, she's 43 years old. She's on an ECMO machine. They've got her hooked up right now to a, a vent. She, she crashed the other day. And I get, a, I get a text from her husband, Richard, at 4.16 a.m., and the text read, Tim, they're intubating her right now. They don't know what's going on. They can't get the fluid out of her lungs. Her heart's in bad condition. I'm scared. Please pray. We've been praying for Amber. In 2010, my son Jesse and Richard's son Brandon were on the same baseball team. Richard and I would sit there and watch our kids play ball. As we sat there on the other side of the fence, just sitting there watching our boys, I began to talk to Richard. Hey, Richard, tell me, what's your story? Richard starts opening up. Richard, tell me what kind of spiritual marinade you got. Really don't have any. Uh, a little bit of Baptist and some Catholic flavor in the background. Hey, what's your view of God? Where are you at in this journey with the Lord? And Richard and I start to build this relationship. Hey, Richard, do you, you ever take your kids to church? Not really. 
Hey, 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 Richard, I know you've got pain based on some of your story that you're telling me, but hey, man, God, God really loves you, and the truest thing about you is that you're loved by God. I, I'd love, man, to spend some more time hanging. Why don't you come visit with us on a Sunday morning? He comes. We start to spend more time talking through just who is God and where is he at. Richard starts to open up more and more to the Lord. Richard gets in his truck, drives from here out to Colorado to go be a part of a John Eldridge Wild at Heart weekend experience. While he's there, he gets ambushed by the Holy Spirit and surrenders to Christ. He drives all the way back from Colorado. He comes here and he starts to tell me what the Lord did in his life. He said, would you baptize me? I said, absolutely, I'll baptize you. So I baptize Richard. Richard starts to fall in love with Jesus. Richard goes home and starts to share the gospel with his family. His wife, Amber, surrenders to Christ. His son, Sean, his other son, Brandon, and his daughter, Ashley, all surrender to Christ. We're walking along. And all of a sudden, Richard calls me one day, and he goes, Tim, can I baptize my wife and my kids? And one year after I baptized Richard, Richard stood there and baptized Amber and his three kids. I, mean, I don't know where God would have allowed Richard to go and what would happen, but you know how it started? Just by sharing my faith. God didn't use me because I was good. God just used me because I was available. Hey, Richard, you're going through this time now. And do you realize that Amber, I mean, she serves as a greeter they're totally connected here. I don't know what their story is today without the Holy Spirit doing a major work in their lives. You've got people around you right now that you can share your faith with. You've got people around you right now that are disconnected and alienated from God. You're going to step into it? Are you going to trust the Holy Spirit to write a 29 narrative that's never been written? I can tell you another thing. We're sent to serve. God has sent us to serve. There are so many people in this church that have been a blessing to you and your family, and you can give back. There are so many people in this church that have touched you by serving, by giving, by being involved. When you start to look even at our kids' ministry, that's not a place to go over and babysit kids. That's a place where you get to share a life-changing message of hope that can radically alter a kid's destiny. Some of them come in here and they're fatherless. Some of them come in and their families are flooded with tension. And you never know, like looking at what Cindy and so many of them are doing today, God wants to use you to have an influence and impact on them. Terry, you start serving in that area. You start serving because way back, your mom was a faithful lady that would show up for church. She would show up to worship. And Sheila is coming in here wanting to worship God and walk with God. And while you're out there on the streets doing whatever for so long, your mom's fervently praying for you. And you get pregnant out of wedlock, and God starts to draw your heart back toward home, Tara. And you come back. And all of a sudden, Terry, you start to come in here, and you're cold as ice, and you don't trust, and you, you don't know what to do, but God starts to soften your heart. And God gets you to a place where you surrender to Christ. And then all of a sudden, during that time, there's this little dude, Tyler, that's born. And Tyler grows up in the church, and we love on Tyler, and we're investing in Tyler. 
But because Tyler don't have an active dad involved in his life every day, some of our guys in this church start to pour into Tyler. And last Sunday, because little Tyler, now 12, about to be 12, surrenders to Christ, we sat right here and watched John Mark baptize Tyler. Because somebody touched you, and you went out and said, I got to serve, and now other people are serving, and they get to be a part, and what is God going to do through Tyler? Because somebody served him, he's got to serve. Are y'all with me today? You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. You don't know what you're planting today that God wants to harvest tomorrow. And I knew I'd probably get choked up telling that story with you here. But I got to serve. And then you look at John Mark and you look at Dallas and you look at all these other guys, Mark and so many others, Jimmy, and we're all in this thing together. And you're out there serving and loving on Tyler, knowing he needs direction and knowing he needs love. And God lets you be a part just because you're available. Not because you're good, not because you're brilliant, not because you've got a Ph.D., and theology, and God's called us all. God's called us all. He sent us all to live a life of generosity. Generosity is our greatest apologetic and greatest declaration of our faith. And we know God don't need my money. God's God. In the church, we don't want and need your money. God's God. But your obedience, we know this. If we're going to reach people, teach people, train people, and send out leaders, missionaries, and pastors, it takes money. And, and, and again, we want to invest in that next generation. We want to raise up people that are taking the gospel to the world. We want to raise up ministries that are impacting things here. Fall fest cost, but put a price tag on a soul. I mean, if every family was tithing and living a life of generosity, what would it look like? What would it look like? I've heard people say, hey, man, put your money where your mouth is. I would say you usually put your money where your heart is. Wherever my heart is, that's what I'm giving. The book of Acts does not end. It's still being written. And you through your availability to the Holy Spirit, God is using you to write a chapter that's never been written. When you study it, you go, what do, what, what do we conclude? Paul got the gospel to Rome. It looked different than he thought it was going to look. But the question is, will I get the gospel to my world? Paul got the gospel to Rome. Am I going to get the Gospel to my world, because God is wanting to use me today to take the gospel to the world in which I live. He's wanting to write a 29 story. The same Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Acts is available to you right now. Whew, write a new story. Crawl on the altar is a living sacrifice. What do you do? You can simply start praying for that person at work, praying for that neighbor, praying for that classmate. Lord, I want to just start praying for them. Lord, they're on my heart. You love them. You've made them in your image. The blood of Christ redeems them. I, I, it might be a classmate, co-worker, neighbor. You can start praying. And then I will tell you this, 37 years into walking with Jesus, don't give up, don't let up, don't shut up. Keep living it out. Keep living it out, Tim. 
There's Antonios that God is raising up to take the gospel to a group of people that I don't, I, I can't see them. But he goes, I want you to train him and disciple him and mentor him and send him out. Okay. God was burdening my heart with my son. He needs, he needs to speak. I've got an anointing on him. Now he's taking the gospel places I, I can't get into. I remember way back when the church down in Albany, Georgia, started coming out with the movies, facing the giants and all those movies that they would come out with. And those guys, I remember, they were like, man, I was burdened with this question. If I could do anything in the world to reach the world with the gospel, what would it be? And they're like, I can use movies. That's my passion. And I remember going, if I could do anything in the world to reach the world with the gospel, what would it be? I can teach baseball. I can teach the fundamentals to share my faith. And God continued to expand that and expand that and expand that over the years. Don't let up. Don't give up. Don't shut up. Keep showing up and trust God to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask or think. You go, uh, I'm scared. I'm scared. I know. We all get scared. Sharing the gospel, serving, and living a life of generosity is not just for professional Christians, whatever that means. It's for regular folks. Can I do it? It's doable. God can use me. It's doable. Three and a half years ago, when the doctor calls Barb and she's up in Rochester, Minnesota, after they have met with a team of doctors... And he goes, Barb, Hannah has cystic fibrosis. She needs to be hospitalized right now. Check out of the hotel. You've got to get here. That little girl is really sick. Barb goes over. She's out in the hallway talking to the doctor. She goes back into the room, and she looks at Hannah with tears in her eyes and says, baby girl, you have cystic fibrosis. You have CF. And the doctor wants you hospitalized right now. They're going to have to put a pick line in you, and they're going to have to start aggressive meds inside your body right now. Barb said, Hannah sat on the edge of the bed for about two minutes. And she looked at Barb and said, CF, it's doable. CF, it's doable. Whatever you're battling through today and suffering through today, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the goodness and kindness and faithful, faithfulness of God, whatever you're facing, it's doable. When it comes to sharing your faith and serving and living a life of radical generosity, I can promise you this, it's doable. But it's going to require you to step outside of your comfort zone and what you know if you're going to taste and experience the goodness of God. It's doable. People who encounter the gospel have to talk about it. Y'all listen to me for a second. People who have embraced Jesus Christ, who have had their sins forgiven, who have tasted of salvation, who have experienced the goodness of God, who have had and are still experiencing life transformation, you got to talk about it. You can't be silent about it. If you understand the gospel at all, you will teach it to your kids. You will share it with your neighbors. 
and you will take it to the nations if you believe the gospel. I will make a bold statement, and I want you to consider this. You're either spreading the gospel today, or you don't believe it. I'm either spreading and sharing the love of Christ today, or I don't believe it. Because if I believe it, if it's radically changed everything that I am, again, I have to talk about it. I have to talk about it. It's the dearest thing in my life. It is the most precious treasure I've ever found. I'm either sharing Christ or I don't believe it. And Jesus even said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I have been sent by the Lord that rescued me from darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of light. I have been sent by him. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus made this statement to those early disciples, and he's making it to us today. Come, come, come and follow me. And when I look at him and say, I will follow him, I will never place limitations on the location of what it might be. I don't get to call the shots. Hey, Tim, come follow me. I will lead you and I will guide you, but you got to trust me. And the unscripted life is the only one worth living. I can't tell God how to be God. I have to be willing to walk spontaneously with him now. Here's my practical wrap for you today. Okay? So here's what I think. As I study scripture and as I ponder what it means to be a disciple of Christ, living sent means I will surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell God how to be God with the Holy Spirit now living inside of me. Lord, I surrender to your leading and your promptings. I will submit to God's guidance on where he wants me to serve. It's not does he, it's where. As I walk with the Lord, I go, I will submit to wherever you tell me to go. I will submit to whoever you encourage me to sit down and talk with. I will walk with you and submit to you. Another observation is I'm willing to go wherever he sends me. Remember our brother Rob last week was talking about that two-month mission he did down to Venezuela. And while he was there, he felt like the Lord was really tugging in his heart that Venezuela, Venezuela is maybe where I want you to serve. He comes back and the guy that he was ministering with said, Rob, God is really putting a burden on my heart. I feel like it's Siberia. He's like, brother, I got to pray through that one. I like copper tone more than I like layers of clothing. And the brother said, no, God's leading me to Siberia. And his statement basically was, wherever God you want me to go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. Another resolve I have when it comes to living a sent life is that I will live missional right now in my zip code. When I first came to faith in Christ, I was still living in Noonan, even though I was bouncing around at that time playing baseball. But I really believed that to live a missional life meant that 30263, that zip code I was to live out my faith in. We would eventually make our way over to Decula after bouncing around even up in Indiana. But once we landed there, I felt like the Lord was like, hey, 30019. 
Here in Loganville, it's 30052. Wherever God has me, I believe God is saying, hey, why don't you let me use you in this zip code in which you live? It's not just overseas on a different part of the world. It's learning to be missional today with whatever zip code God has me in. Another resolve that a person living sent makes is this. I'm determined to share my faith with my world. Living sent means that I'm committed to fulfilling the Great Commission. It wasn't a good suggestion. It was the Great Commission. It wasn't just a, hey, consider this sometime, if you will. It was the Great Commission. It was a specific order with author, uh, with, with, from the authority saying, here's what I want you to do. I'm, I'm living sent. Living sent means loving on people that are alienated from God. It means loving on people that are different than I am. I've had people over the years saying, man, it's just kind of hard to build a relationship with this person because they're so different than I am. Why don't you put every person you meet in one of two categories, either lost or found? Every person I meet is either lost or found. Every person I meet is different than me. Every person in my family is different than me. Praise God. I can't handle hang, just hanging with me most days. Could you imagine if God said, hey, I want you to hang with people just like you, and I'm like, it's hard for me to digest my flesh patterns at times. Living a, a life set means that I'm going to pray sp specifically for my neighbors, co-workers, and classmates. It means that I will engage in spiritual conversations. It means that I'm going to step out and share my faith with courage. Living sent means I'm making disciples, which implies I am a disciple, which implies trying to be all I can be and the best I can be every day for the glory of God, and I'm trying to help every person I meet be all they can be and the best they can be for the glory of God. It means I, I, I give, and it means that I love, and it means that I share, and it means that I risk, and it means that I trust God to be enough. Acts 29 is on. God has sent you on mission. And as the great theologian Larry the Cable Guy would say, get her done. It's time to get her done. It is time to live out our faith in the world in which God has placed us.